my friends, come along with me. See how the story ends. We are some hippies. These are my friends. Come along with me. See how the story ends. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of Professional Hippies. Today we have a very special guest. I'll introduce him in a second. If you've been following us, hey, check it out. We have navigated over to um, Spotify, more like full-time now. So you can actually watch this episode in Spotify if you'd like. And if you're following us, please drop a review. Drop a follow. helps out with the algorithm. So we're the professional hippies. We like to bridge the gap between the hippie woo-woo and a little bit of professionalism. Bring in some stocks, some taxes, all that wonkiness but today we're joined by alex alex can you still see us brother yeah i kind of can awesome all right well we're figuring out this platform and sometimes the platform <laughs> likes to figure us out so yeah, yeah your internet might cut in and out but if you can hear us we can see it. it's all good so alex man hey uh excited to have you on thanks for joining us and uh we met at fit for service right with Aubrey yeah. marcus absolutely yeah, so are you still a part of that community? Uh, right now, I'm taking an intentional year off because was, that was three years deep when we met. And it was time to just like be home for a period of time and not go on a fucking retreat every quarter. So yeah. I'm valuing the, the year off, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, one thing when we met, one thing that was really cool about getting the chance to interact with you and just kind of like seeing your social media from afar. It's just like, one, I felt like fit for service and that ecosystem has a lot of leaders in it, right? But I, somewhere between, do you remember Intergalactic Gumbo or Mars Party, right? So somewhere between before that, I think was when we had a run in at the Airbnb I was staying at. I was like, I like this guy, it's cool. And so I'm glad we had the chance to connect, but um you know, not to steal the spotlight from you, but to kind of give our listeners and, and viewers a rundown, you know, how would you introduce what you do and, you know, the difference you're trying to make in the world? Mm, yeah, it's a good question. So the primary difference that I'm trying to make is really to shift people's perceptions and open their frame view of themselves. And by that, more specifically, I mean helping each person to realize their patterns and then to move those patterns into a more positive place. Specifically, I find myself working with a lot of men, typically, is where the rubber meets the road most of the time, although I do work with some women. Um, and I use a variety of modalities to enable those frame shifts. So things like plant medicines, which I know we'll probably talk plenty about, things like internal family systems as a psychotherapy modality, and just things like breath work, meditation, and basic good old fashioned life coaching uh, is sort of where I make my money. So those are all the different things I do. And then also try to educate a significant amount, especially around psychedelics, because they're such a beautiful, potent new thing. Um, people are really excited about them, and then there's a lot of people using them in varying degrees of successfulness. And so spending a lot of time on my podcast, um, putting out videos on Instagram and stuff, kind of helping to educate around various topics adjacent to psychedelics so that people can have some tools in the toolkit when they go for the uh, big hammer. Hmm. Yeah, so I mean, 
in your mind, it's no like one path to repatterning. It's kind of like, hey, there's these different modalities and techniques and approaches to what might be best for someone. So like no one size fits all. Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many different ways to enter into self-work and, you know, you might have person A who maybe their, maybe their dad like died of a heroin overdose. Like, okay, probably they're not going to be super excited about using an air quotes drug to work on themselves, but they might do a breath work. And so then they can still open and widen the aperture on that frame if they use that tool. Versus person B might be totally open to psychedelics and they're like, let's do this. So, what what is would you say has been your kind of like go to uh, approach with helping someone repattern? Because I can't imagine it's been psychedelics forever, or maybe it has. But in my experience, it's kind of like a trickle effect. Like one somebody opens one door and they're like, oh shit, there's all these other things that I could use in kind of different mm -hmm. arenas in my life. So. On one hand, it could be like, hey, what got you started down that path? But kind of what, what do you feel like is kind of your fallback go-to if someone's being a hard nut to crack, but they're open to change? What do you kind mm. of lean back on? Yeah, so it's definitely shifted over time. It, it ironically did really start with psychedelics for me almost 10 years ago now as I cured myself of alcoholism with mushrooms. And that was the beginning of my own self-work. Um, for a long time, I would use large dose ceremonies as the primary tool in my toolkit to help facilitate change for someone. And of course, that's still very effective. However, I have really become an evangelist for microdosing recently. And by recently, you know, the last two to three years. And it's for a couple of reasons, but primarily it is extraordinarily safe. Of all the things I could recommend someone do, this is probably by far the safest thing for them. And just the awareness increase that people experience of their own internal emotional and mental landscape from microdosing is super powerful. So it's something that if you pair with a bunch of the other practices, you start microdosing and meditating, and all of a sudden your meditations are twice as good. You start microdosing and doing breath work, and all of a sudden you're having those powerful breakthrough visionary breath works that you keep hearing about from events like Fit for Service, and you don't get to experience, but now you get to experience them. Oh, okay, now you have that insight, or you have those gaps in reaction time when someone makes you angry, and instead of immediately yelling back at them, you have a moment to breathe and go, hmm, I'm triggered right now. Why am I triggered? Oh, they're crossing a boundary. And so I feel like I have to defend my boundary. Oh shit. Okay. That's what's happening here. So really recently to help someone sort of break their patterns, microdosing has been the go-to just because it's so broadly applicable and it's so safe for so many people. Whereas a larger dose ceremony, there's a much more strict criteria that I'm looking for to work with someone. Mm, man, that's like a, a garden ripe full of questions, son, you know? So, but I'm like trying to take mental notes, but also be present in the conversation. It's that accepting, not thinking about the next thing to say. Um, but the, one of the questions that came up that might actually just be really applicable for me in my life right now is that, um, let's say someone is really wanting a change in their life. Cause I think in my experience, psychedelics have been great for kind of like giving you a shortcut, yeah. right? Whereas my only complaint with breath work is the work part. 
Yeah, right. Totally. So like if I could just get if I could get all the effects without having to sit there like a, a monk and just like hyperventilate, it'd be awesome. Um, so let's say someone comes to you and they're like, hey, Alex, you know, I'm I'm kind of wanting to change whether it's a habit around alcohol or not exercising. There's going to be a lot of nuance here, but what would kind of be your approach to either suggesting, diagnosing or, you know, going about helping them facilitate some change that they feel resistance to yet they know they want to do it. Yeah, totally. So I first try to get crystal clear with them on if they're actually committed to making the change at all. There is probably 50% of people who walk into my DMS or my, you know, intro calls who are just not ready to make a change and that's okay. But identifying those as a coach is really important because you can spend months trying different tactics with someone who's just they're not trying so there's only one of you trying in the relationship and that doesn't work and is exhausting as a coach but saying we've cleared that hurdle and they do actually really want to change we first need to triage the actual problem so let's take working out as an example if they're not working out consistently but they keep telling themselves they want to work out now, a surface level read would say that the problem is they're not working out. But perhaps a layer deeper, we find that they have a terrified, just fear of the gym. Okay, cool. So that's a more real problem than they're not working out. And maybe a layer beneath they're terrified of the gym is some old trauma where they got bullied and the last time they went to the gym, three big buff dudes like beat the shit out of them or something. <laughs> Hopefully no one out there actually has had that happen. That would be really sad, but you know, imagine. And right. now we're dealing with the actual problem. So then we choose the tool in the toolkit that is best to deal with the actual problem. So in that case, we're probably looking at some sort of exposure therapy where they can get you know closer and closer to being at the gym. Maybe day one, they just go in the door and they get on the Stairmaster for five minutes. And day two, they do something else that's a little bit of an increase. And from there, boom, boom, boom. Um, or let's say they weren't able to get to that depth of understanding. So then they have, it's not the problem that they can't go to the gym. It's the problem that they don't have the awareness of why they don't go to the gym. So then it's an awareness problem. So we have to address the awareness problem. So whenever I have an awareness problem, I'm going to use my tools like psychedelics because they are these really powerful non-specific amplifiers that will allow you to amplify whatever is within you so that you can see it more clearly. It's like putting a microscope on the petri dish of your mind. All of a sudden you can now see things that you couldn't see before. So then we can actually get to the roots, but ultimately the whole approach is just finding which tool we can use to get to the actual root of why they are not doing the behavior they would like to be doing or why they are doing the behavior that they don't want to be doing. And then once we have the root in hand, addressing and identifying what the actual action plan is that's based in reality. Uh, maybe the last piece on this is a place that people often slip up is we all want to believe the best of ourselves and we want to think that we're super fucking awesome, but sometimes you have to start so hilariously small that it's like embarrassing to you. So in the example of the gym, if I tell you like, hey, Colton, your, ch your challenge this week is I need you to walk by the front of the gym every day. There's a piece of your ego that's going to reject that. It's going to go like, whatever, dude, I'm stronger than that. 
But the reality might be, no, you aren't. <laughs> like, historically, that's been terrifying. So we have to push the edge little by little. So it is also just accepting and kind of biting off what you can chew and being willing to humble yourself and humble the ego and go, look, this is what I can handle right now. This is my first step. That was so dense. <laughs> Alex, like even, even coaching, like, dude, there's so much in there. Oh God. I was like drinking out of a fire hose of knowledge, bro. You're, you're the man. Um, even the phrase though, like non-specific amplifiers, where'd you pick that up from? I read that in a psychedelic article and it really resonated with me because I think one of the things that's so powerful about that phrase is we tend to think of psychedelics as only positive. Like, oh, you go in and you do your work and then the mushrooms hold your hand and help you figure yourself out. And it's like that. Okay, then how were like the Vikings running around killing people while on mushrooms and how were the Aztecs like human sacrificing people while on mushrooms? No. Psychedelics are amplifiers. They amplify what's already there and it's non-specific. So if what's already there is hate and rage and there's no one there to check that and to help you put it into context, you can amplify that shit too. So I like that term because it, it really gives a clear picture of what psychedelics do, but then they can also be amplifiers in a positive way. My ability to see my own emotions becomes amplified. That's great if I'm trying to figure out why I feel certain things. How often do you see like the darker side, the shadow, if you will, of psychedelics being amplified? Because that's something that I think people don't talk about enough. You know, anytime I have facilitated or helped someone integrate or um, you know, attached to any psychedelic anything, that's like one of the first things I'm bringing up is, by the way, hey, like you're signing up for not just butterflies and rainbows, but any fucking thing else coming out of that box. But the way you're framing it, I think is, uh, I don't know, it's a great approach. So I'm just curious, like how often, you know, that being a part of your work, I'm sure that you're regularly encountering, like how often is that something that comes up? Yes, I mean, probably the main tendency I witness that is detrimental to the process of, let's say, self-healing and being the best version of yourself is really a fundamental misunderstanding of the way that psychedelics speak to us. So there's this really interesting study out of the Imperial College of London where they hooked people up to a brain scan and had them take ayahuasca. And when they took the ayahuasca, on the brain scan, they measured the brain waves and found that there was a huge upregulation in theta waves, which are the waves that we experience while we're dreaming. So the brainwave state that we experience on at least ayahuasca, but probably all the other psychedelics too, and the brainwave state that we have while we're dreaming is the same state, except that on the psychedelic, you're more wakeful. So you're conscious of it versus with a dream, you're passive to it. It would be really dumb if you had a dream about an alien last night and you woke up today and you said hey alex i met an alien last night that wouldn't make any sense you'd be like no that was a dream so clearly the alien was a representation of something archetypally maybe i feel alienated in some area of my life i feel like i'm not connected to something but in psychedelics we do this all the time <laughs> People come out of their journey and they take everything as literal fact that they experienced. 
rather than running it through the lens of archetypal interpretation. Okay, what did this represent to me? What does a jaguar represent to me? What does an ayahuasca vine represent to me? What about a snake? So one of the fundamental mistakes I see being made, and this is where the ego comes back in after the journey, is people's tendency to take what they saw literally, and then in so taking it literally, they can escape whatever the actual work is there for them to do. So mm. I like the alien example because I think this is the clearest one. It's actually the archetype where it happens by far the most. And look, I'm agnostic about whether there's aliens or not. Like, who fucking knows? Okay. One could walk down here tomorrow and be like, Alex, you dickhead. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Seems like you're here. Cool. Um, <laughs> but using the alien example, you know, say I have a journey and in the journey, an alien comes to me and says, you need to be kinder to each other. And I'm filled with this sense of like almost sadness. And then I come out the other end of the journey and I'm like, yo, an alien came to me and told me that us humans need to be kinder with each other. So we have to do it, you guys. And notice how all of a sudden my ego has made my journey completely about everyone else and not about me, whereas another reading of that same journey would be, alien comes down and says, you need to be kinder to each other. Well, the alien's an archetypal representation of the fact that I don't feel like I'm very kind to myself or to others. So the concept is literally alien to me to be kind. And so the representation being given to me in the journey was for me and me alone to be kinder. Well, if I ignore that archetypal representation, my ego has a really nice back door built in to escape the actual work and to continue proselytizing to people around me of what they need to do, which is a really sexy, alluring trap for all of us. I've fallen into this myself at various different points in my journey where I'm like, oh, I know what people need to do. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 that advice was for me. <laughs> All advice in a psychedelic journey should first be ran through the filter of what is this telling me about me? Mm. Is that you think that comes from almost, you know, especially a lot of new people that get into uh, psychedelics, they think that they're going to so solve all their problems on mm. during the process, right? Mm. That's kind of the mantra that's put out there in, in movies and TV shows and things like that. Is it? You see them take it, everything seems to be solved on the first, during the trip, and then they come out of it, and all of a sudden everything's butterflies and rainbows, whereas not realizing, no, that just mm -hmm. that was just really giving you a platform to kind of look at things through a different lens. And now, 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 now you're saying the work begins after that. And I feel like that's something that took me a long time to figure out. But I, you always see a lot of people that come in, especially new, and they're like, I've got everything figured out. Our grandmothers should take this, you know? Yeah, it's so exactly that. It's, you know, it's a microscope, again, to use that same metaphor. You get to look at what's underneath the hood and get clear on it and become aware of it. But all the work is on the other end of the journey. Like, great, now I'm aware that I'm a dickhead. Cool. Well, I still have to do the work every day to not be a dickhead. It didn't just make that go away. It just made me aware of it. So, yeah, awareness is the thing. And awareness mm -hmm. the difficulty arises that if you have awareness without action 
you start to experience psychological pain. And so if I'm in that state of psychological pain, that's when I start grasping for coping mechanisms. And one of those can be this sort of fantasy land or this like jumping out of the reality and jumping into a non-reality. Dude, you're fucking me up over here. I wasn't prepared for all this, Alex. I thought we were getting butterflies and rainbows, dude. And all of a sudden we're going real deep, dude. <laughs> we can go there. How often, uh... This is what, this is what he wanted. Um, <laughs> how often are you partaking in psychedelics in a recreational sense? Yeah, recreational. When do you let your coaching... Your, yeah, when do you let your coaching hat fall off? When do you let, you know, your... Uh, imagination run free and just say fuck it you know like not mm -hmm. no work no healing how often are you letting that come in or you know the ratio to that versus facilitating for others or doing work for yourself like what does that breakdown look like yeah so the ratio of work on myself to play on myself play with myself <laughs> is yes one-to-one -one. yes so i strive to have at least four times a year where it's just total irreverence no plan, no stipulations to myself. If I want to take MDMA one day and LSD the next day, fuck yeah. Cool. Enjoy a music festival is usually my outlet for that. Um, and then similarly, I try to have four big self-work journeys a year. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's two, but usually it's four quarterly where I'm checking in. So that's my balance I try to strike because... And this will be a little bit different for everyone, so I want to be clear about that. Especially when someone starts the healing journey, their cadence of self-work might be significantly more frequent than their cadence of play, just because they have a lot of built-up psychic content that they need to kind of sift through. But once you re reach a certain point, you're never fully healed, but once you've kind of like picked up the heavy bags and put them on the conveyor belt, then you can start to hit a more equal pacing. And it's actually probably healthier to do so because otherwise you're just like, I had a journey once where the mushrooms represented to me. They're like, hey, stop trying to fucking summon demons for you to kill. Meaning, stop trying to make up new big broken shit about yourself just so that you have the next thing to work on. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. Fair enough. <laughs> like, oh, you can just stay in that cycle forever where it's like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And so play is the natural counterpoint to that. Yeah, I think that's a really healthy take on it. Um, and, you know, it's something that with the psychedelics renaissance approaching where it, it feels like, hey, this is tapping to, to a bit more of a mainstream I mean, I'm just kind of curious overall. It's really awesome to get to pick your brain because I hear not only like a great respect and attitude towards like that approach, but also just by the nature of what I do. You can tell when there's a lot of depth behind someone putting work in, in themselves just outside of like some kind of shortcut, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I'm just kind of curious what was the lure for you to psychedelics? And then did that, was that precluding any kind of work that you did with men's coaching? Like, is that what kind of busted open the door for you? Or what did that journey look like? Like what, what sparked that to kind of get you where you're at now? Yeah. It, it's all very intertwined, but initially, you know, when I was 21 turning 22, I had been an alcoholic for a few years 
probably since I was about 16. And, you know, I was increasing in intensity over time. But, you know, around the age of 21, 22, I mean, I'd be going out four, five, six nights a week, drinking, blacking out a lot. And really, my ego was identified with being the fun party guy that had the cool girls with him and knew where the best place to go was and always had something to do. And I got fired from a job that was like, basically I was working as like the manager of this off-site location of a pet food company. And for someone with no college degree at that age, like I was kind of killing it, but I kept showing up hungover, kept missing days because I was drunk, et cetera, et cetera. So I got fired and it was a wake up call. I was like, fuck, something has to change. I tried to quit cold turkey, didn't work, tried again, didn't work. And finally I heard Tim Ferriss, thank you, Tim, wherever you are in the ether, mention mushrooms on one of his super early podcasts, just like offhandedly. It was like mushrooms helped with my depression. I was like, hmm, very interesting. So I did what I don't recommend to anyone and took five grams alone in the dark with no music and nobody there to sit for me. And Sick. Yeah, that in. sounds like a recipe for success. Yeah. And, you know, hilariously it was, <laughs> but that's not a repeatable process. So it's like, hey, one out of 10 times, that's going to go fucking terrible. <laughs> I just got lucky that the time I did it wasn't one of those 10. Um, and after a couple of those ceremonies, <laughs> I stopped drinking for a whole year and completely started to reformat myself. Now, sort of adjacent with all of this timing, I had a group of guys that I was starting to meet with every Sunday. And we had what we call a goal group where we'd sit down and we'd talk about our goals. And at the first, there's a lot of like stuff about chicks. Like, oh, I want to go on more dates or like, I want to do this or that with women. Um, but over time, it evolved into like life goals. Like, what do we want to accomplish financially? What do we want to accomplish professionally? Uh, what hobbies do we want to take on? That was really the first tendrils of my men's work because that group was all men. And as I started to observe that, I started to see some of the same problems in them that I saw in myself, which was just a lack of guidance, a lack of clarity, feeling like no one told us that we were adults now, feeling like no one taught us how to be adult men. And uh, that really spawned the first seeds of that men's work um, that continued to develop over the years. And then, you know, adjacent with that was the psychedelic work where I had such a huge impact from mushrooms that I couldn't shut my fucking mouth. Like anyone that listened, I'm like, yo, and this is like 10 years ago now. So like, think back to that period of time, like this was not on the radar the way it is now. Where like, you talk to a random person on the right. street, they probably know about mushrooms. And so like, I'm just like telling people like, I did this shit, it completely changed my life, you have to try it. And I'd start to sit with people one-on-one -on -one and kind of build that up over time. So that's kind of how those two things developed in, in tandem. Where do you see your path kind of like developing into? You know, do you have like a, a vision for where you want your coaching to go or any kind of impact that comes up for you or trailing from how it began? Like, where do you see it going? It's a good question. I think... There's a few things I'm doing right now that I'm really excited about. So one is this ayahuasca immersive that I got coming up. And what I'm excited about with doing more of those going forward is to provide a fully comprehensive experience of plant medicine that isn't just like, okay, you show up and maybe you're there for three days and you take ayahuasca and then you go home. 
it's like, no, this is a full set of course module um, learning beforehand, learning how to actually work with the medicine, learning things like dream interpretation, learning things like how to journal properly, how to meditate properly, learning internal family systems as a psychotherapy modality so that you actually enter the ceremony with tools in your toolkit and then go through the experience and then on the back end, like fully fleshed out integration modules so that you actually have the tools to make things happen from what you learn. And you have the education to know how to effectively navigate, but also how to know like not to engage with them if you're not ready. Like if you're not ready for plant medicine, don't do it yet. Take your time. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about that just because I think that's one of the holes in the market right now is really comprehensive education in addition to just the experience itself. It's like, great, that's going to be, you know, five years from now, it'll be widely available to go sit with any medicine you can imagine somewhere in the U.S. It's already pretty fucking available right now. But what's not available is like the support on the front end and the back end. It's a lot of just like come to the ceremony, you sit, hopefully things go good afterwards. All right, see you later. So excited about that piece. And then... The second thing that I've been cooking on um, is starting to run more men's retreats. I've done a few now, but I think another major sort of hole in society as a whole is uh, men's initiation or men's rites of passage. It's something that most men I talk to, it's like, if you really get down to it, like, hey, do you feel like an adult man? They're like, no, I feel like a boy because of this, because they're missing rites of passage, because they're missing that initiation into manhood. So that's the other piece I'm very excited about right now that I see things evolving continually towards. Do you uh, just like put them up on a pole and make them stand there for 24 hours, 48 hours? Or like what's the... Yeah. Punch them in the stomach yeah. a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Here, put your hand in this ant glove and let's see yep. if you can last four hours. Haha, you've now been bitten by the most painful insect in the entire world. So now you're a man. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. the <laughs> rites of passage are pretty well understood um, in terms of the structure. And it, it pretty closely mirrors the hero's journey structure. So for those that are familiar with the hero's journey, that structure is a structure of initiation. So there's a couple important components, mainly for men, you need to go through this experience of separation from the things you know. So you can't just be still sitting at home with your parents and expect that suddenly you're initiated. It's like, no, you need to separate from your parents specifically, but also from the things that you know that you're all comfortable with. You need to experience a death. Now, the death is metaphorical, of course, but in a lot of past traditions, it would be a trial of pain because the goal was to get someone like really close to actual death and then, like, just pull it back. And then they have a sense of, like, being reborn, which is the next step, rebirth. And then a communication of responsibilities and a communication of how they fit into the community and who they are to show up in the world. And all of these things, so the death helps them to shed their old identity, the identity of the boy. Boom, we're getting rid of that. Psychedelics are very useful in that step because they are an ego death, which is pretty fucking good in terms of simulating a death. The rebirth is that full welcoming back into the world of the living. And then that 
instilling of responsibilities, you know, responsibility is a funny word that a lot of men have resistance to. They're like, oh, what, I have to do more? But really, responsibilities are a deep sense of calm and safety in an adult man. Because it's, oh, I know how I'm supposed to show up for my friends, family, society around me. And so I'm not confused anymore. I know exactly where I need to go. I know how to get there. And I'm working on it. So I feel a huge sense of self-love and self-esteem because I know the role that I play. I know how I show up. Whereas a lot of men are stuck in that state of confusion of like, they feel selfish, they only do things mostly for them, they don't know how they're supposed to help anyone around them, they feel like they can't even help themselves, etc, etc. So that's kind of the structure of like a rite of passage when it's done correctly at least. But like it would be cool if you could just like stick your hand in a glove and, um, and figure all that out, right? Gonna get some ants. So <laughs> <laughs> and, and my bad for dominating this Dylan. I was what, literally uh, gonna say like what? I could tell you got questions. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh no, no. This is this is good. You got some good questions. Um I was gonna ask, you know, when you're working on this when you're in your men's groups, um, you know, I always hear a pretty wide range, a lot of um, successful men really like doing this type of thing, right? They get so bombarded in their work life, their family life, they, mm. they kind of just feel like they lose themselves after a little bit, right? Because they have so many responsibilities they're having to take care of and they go and do this type of thing in order to do that, find that. Um, when you're talking about this, you know, are you, what what type of men are you working? working? Are they fathers? Are they just single guys? Are they, you know, just coming out of college, you know, are, are you yeah, all of wide range love, of people? Really, I mean, there's men of every walk of life, even men who are fathers themselves, who are confused as shit. Like, because it happens to so many men, right? We just we know the next thing that we're supposed to do. So you're supposed to go to college. Mm -hmm. So maybe you go to college, and then you're supposed to get your degree. So you get your degree, and you're supposed to find a good job. So you find a good job. And you're supposed to get married, so you find a girl that's, like, acceptable enough to you. And then you're supposed to have kids. Then you have kids, and all of a sudden you wake up at 50, and you're like, I didn't choose shit. None of this was conscious. I just stumbled forward into my own middle age. And now I've finally fallen flat on my face because I've had some sort of breakdown. Like, this is what a midlife crisis is. It's a breakdown because you realize you've never chosen a goddamn thing in your life up to that point. And so then I start to question. And I go, oh, fuck, what do I do? Now, it's a lot easier if they come to me or whatever men's work earlier. Because then we have to unburden less things. Because, look, it's hard, man. If you're 70 and you're in an unhappy marriage... It's really hard to admit to yourself that you need divorce because it means admitting to yourself that you've been wrong and ignorant for 40 years before that, 50 years before that. That's really hard. <laughs> it's a tough thing to do. So the earlier, the better. But yeah, I mean, we see men of all different walks of life and even men who are in very, you know, prestigious or esteemed positions, doctors, lawyers, whose society's like, yes, you've done it. And they're just like empty as shit because they want to be an artist. They want to be something else, but they did this to please mom or please dad, which is an important piece of the rite of passage. It's you're passing from your parent's son into your own man 
who chooses his own things. That's the passage, a member of society non-attached to your parents. In that passage, you start to gain agency and sovereignty over yourself and to make your own decisions. But a lot of men have not gone through that and are still, even if their parents are dead, they're still trying to please their parents internally. Yeah, and so, I mean, around that idea, like something that you spoke on right there that just really resonated with me is, and I'm also curious to pick your brain about, is the idea of, you know, hey, like being an empty vessel because you decided to do what society would want or your parents or your family, whatever, right? So just for the sake of picking at something, if someone out there that's listening to this is feeling at a fork in the road, so to speak, you know, they've been going down this path that they're appeasing someone or the idea that they think they want, but they really, they want to be that artist. They want to be that producer. They want to be that painter. It doesn't even have to be creative, right? They could want a different job, but they think they're not worthy of it or whatever story they're telling themselves. What kind of advice would you give to somebody that maybe wants to go against the grain? Like they know that they'll be happier doing blank, but it's super fucking scary. How would you help someone kind of either nudge over the edge or, you know, take a staircase down the cliff versus jumping off the cliff? Like what, what comes up for you? Yeah. So I think there's three things that come up for me immediately. One of them goes back to the beginning of our conversation, which is they need awareness. So I would want to know who are they trying to please and why are they trying to please them? Chances are it's mom and dad, but maybe it's whoever, let's say. That awareness is critical because that's the thing we actually have to overcome. So they get that awareness, great. Then they can start to really work on the thing. The second thing is an understanding they don't have to do it all at once. Like people often think of this journey as, so then you quit your job and then you started out as an artist. And no, that's actually a fucking pretty bad strategy for most people. It's like, no, keep being a lawyer because that makes a ton of fucking money. But... If you can scale your hours down, scale them down as much as you can. And then commit to yourself that you're going to spend four hours a week on art. And then next month, you're going to spend five hours a week. And then next month, you're going to spend seven. And then boom, 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 boom. Until you're doing art 20 hours a week and you're lawyering 40. Okay, cool. Now you're kind of an artist. So strategy, piece of things. And then the last piece of it is community. If you're all around lawyers who are miserable, who do blow on the weekend and fucking have sex with hookers, do you really think that any of them are going to challenge you to be the best version of yourself? Or are they going to crabs in the pot, pull you back down into the muck every time you start to do better for yourself? They're going to pull you back in. So you need to seek the community piece. And this is one thing that organizations like Sacred Sons are doing really well is creating communities of men where they hold each other accountable and where they're in that uh, true brotherhood. So that's a critical piece as well. You need to be around people who are going to both support you lovingly, but also call you the fuck out and go, hey, Dylan, man, you're doing that? That's actually bullshit. I know you said two weeks ago you didn't want to do that thing, and you're doing it. So first of all, I'm here for you. What do you need from me? How can I support you? What are you feeling? Did something go wrong I didn't know about? I want to be here to support you. But second, we got to do better, man. We got to do better. And it's like, 
<laughs> she told me she told me so she'd love me back again. <laughs> Third Friday in a row, I texted my ex. <laughs> Fuck. Um, <laughs> so the last piece is that community, that support, because that's what makes it sustainable. If you just start to work on yourself, but you're the only person that you know that's working on yourself, good luck, man. Like the Australians call it tall poppy syndrome. Motherfuckers are going to cut down the tallest poppy. So you got to be around some other tall fucking poppies. I've heard that so many times and I can never <laughs> commit to memory. It's a kind of interesting tall poppies get cut down. Because they're taking all the sunlight. You're blocking my sunlight, man. Yeah, fuck those poppies. Go ahead, Dylan. Sorry. It's kind of interesting when you go to, uh, you were talking about, you know, these doctors and lawyers, right? A lot of times they're just, they want to find themselves or get into art. I always find it, um, you know, as I'm going to, you know, more and more music festivals over the years, you find, you start being a little bit more aware of the type of people that are at festivals, right? You see different groups of things. I always find it interesting, you know, let's say, for example, right, you go to Okeechobee, it's a lot of younger people, but then you go to Huluween, and you really kind of look at the VIP level people that they have there, and then these RVs that are showing up, and the trucks pulling those RVs, and the area, there are some wealthy people that go to these things, that come to explore themselves and be like, just like you said, doing it like just a few times a year, opening up themselves. And they've probably gone through some sort of coaching, like maybe they haven't, but they might have gone through some sort of coaching like this. Mm-hmm. And this is just their way to get away during the year. Because a lot of people think it's going to be like Wooks and this is all they do. But I go to these festivals and I see tons of doctors, lawyers, CEO, CFO. I mean, Burning Man is the great example. Yeah, of that. Man, it's, it's crazy. I, I go to a lot of music festivals myself and you see the full range of people. You see the kids, you know, the freshly 21. But then you see people who are, 30 40 50 where they're just there to like let loose a little bit and it's always a question for me and you can usually see it on their face but you never want to be the person who's just letting loose it's more of a celebration of how dope your life already is Mm. that's the key distinction like i'm not releasing my shackles for one weekend it's a celebration (laughs) of how beautiful the life that i've built is Fuck yeah, dude. Let's go rip some heroin right I mean, now. that's almost what I was, what I was talking about. <laughs> Celebrate. The people that are showing up, the people that are showing up with these nice RVs and everything, they're like, look what we can do now. Like, I almost, I look back with, you know, my buddy James, when we went to our first music camping festival, you know, we opened up the back of our trunk, pulled out a tent, we shared a tent and, you know, and we just had our little, we had like a little cooler. That was where we could afford at the time. And now, you know, at this point, we have a whole camp set up when we go to these things, but it's because we can afford it now. We celebrate that we've made it to this point, and that's what we like to do when we go to festivals. Like, and when we, you know, Colton and I go on these cool trips, mm-hmm. you know, it's like look what we could afford to do now to, at this point. But you know, 10, 15 years ago, we would have been walking, it. hitchhiking it, trying to make it there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and one last thought is like, hey, you you don't I like that. Be, uh... I like what you said there. You don't want to be that person in the 40s or 50s look like they got too many battle scars out there, right? Like the mm-hmm. the letting go people. My favorite are the ones that are in their 40s, 50s. And I like look at them like I aspire to be you. You can just see the amount of shit they've seen. Like just good old boy stories if you had a chance to sit down with them. Those are the people I love bumping into. 
where you like uh, Huloween's a great example because people just have their kids out there and you can almost like feel the amount of trips they've been through because they're they're basically sober. They might be having like a beer on a blanket, but they're watching their kid run around with a hula hoop and they're just like, this is the fucking tits. You know, they're, they're having a blast watching everybody else have a blast. Like that's the kind Mm -hmm. of, uh, person I aspire to be, you know? So Alex, I want to honor your time and, uh, really thank you so much for coming on, man. I mean, there was like so much densely packed wisdom in what you're sharing like, that's so rich. So, um, you know, I hope anybody that's listening, how can they find you? How can they connect or what's, you know, what's coming up? What are you excited about? You know, insert plug here. Yeah. Plug, plug, plug. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing, the best ways to find me, my podcast, which is called through the veil, um, talk about all things psychedelics. I've been doing a lot of talk about relationships recently, which has been really fun for me because I love talking about dating. Like it's my favorite topic to riff on. Um, but we talked a little bit about psychedelics, a lot of self-improvement there. Um, my Instagram at Alexander Diesel and my TikTok now, if you're listening and you use TikTok, I feel like the oldest man I've ever felt like when I'm on TikTok, but I'm on there nonetheless is at Alexander Diesel TV. So you can check those out, find me there, connect with me, shoot me a message and let me know you found me on the podcast and yeah. Sick rush them guys let them know you're from the professional hippies <laughs> drop a review on his shit but definitely drop a review on our shit that's the cool thing yeah. about spotify it, it, anchor it's given us all these new metrics and we can actually track you guys not inside your own home we respect your privacy but amazon doesn't so if you guys like this episode please head over to the diesel man himself <laughs> and other than that you got anything for the people out there dylan did i miss anything how'd i do Uh, just share with your friends, share it with your enemies, share it with the ones that you love. You know, keep listening, keep hanging with us. Alex, stay oh, yeah, on after if you could, please. We love you all and everyone. Peace out.